All right, Matt Ray, you've lived in a, uh, I don't know, more tropical than most places climate for a while. And, yeah. uh, what's your, Kinda. what's your, what's your, what is your evolving position on coconut? Whoa, coconut. I yeah. was not expecting that. You know, it's actually not that tropical here. Uh, I mean, that's like asking somebody in LA what they think about coconut. Um, I'm sure they have thoughts. Well, sure. Uh, and they'll probably suck in traffic, but, um, Wow. Quick joke there. (laughs) (laughs) Coconut, uh, it's fine. Um, Yeah. I'm not, you know, I never caught the the coconut water craze. Uh, I don't really use it too often. I mean, because like coconut flakes by themselves, you know, there's a ton of sugar in there. So really, if you Mm. ever have like raw coconut, it's it's just kind of like, well, that's a lot of um, fiber. <laughs> I like to sugar. Uh, my one word. Yeah, the sugar is good. Overrated, just overrated. Coconut in general, just overrated. A overrated. lot more work. Yeah, well, a lot more work than it's than it's okay. actually. Okay. Work. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the the coconut I like is like you know, and a mai tai. Yeah, which is really sure. just a bunch of yeah, sugar. Sure. Then it's just that. a garnish, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I think I think you've hit on it, Brandon. You want coconut as a garnish or like a condiment, right? Oh yeah, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do enjoy here at the Albert Hein. They do have a, uh, they've got a little package of, what would you call it? It's like Shredded pre-shelled coconut. and pre-broken apart coconut pieces. Like it has a little bit of the brown barky stuff oh, okay. on the backside, but it's kind of like little little bite-sized pieces, and you can just, you know, as they say, pop them in your mouth and eat them. But yeah. And 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 when I first moved here, like it was kind of like a fun novelty because they're, they're in these little packs. These little round plastic things that are always like um, three for six euros or three for five or something. And, you know, that kind of pricing just totally works on me. They should look into this for enterprise uh, software pricing where like, you know, I just want the coconut thing. But I'm like, (laughs) I could just pay two euros for this one thing or I could pay six euros and get two more things. Right. Like (laughs) and so I I always end up getting like the hummus and maybe some other stuff. Is is there some sort of like, you know, um exponential like you know oh you can get you know you can get one for four or two for five or three for seven eight for you know eight for 16 and then all of a sudden you're like approaching this you know if i just buy all of them i'll get all of them for the same price yeah i think i think that's there there must be a chart that shows the uh the optimal i don't know if this is a prisoner's dilemma or like some sort of like thinking fast thinking slow thing but there must be a graph that shows the optimal point between the consumer and the seller when it comes to like <laughs> buy three for five. All of a sudden you're like out of my way, Costco. I'm going direct. <laughs> <laughs> because because you're right. At some point, you know, if it was like buy six trillion and get 10 trillion more, <laughs> that might be bad for the sellers because then you're you would like, own everything. Look at me. I bought all the bananas in Guatemala. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got five million included. So I, th- I think... There, there must be something there, but anyways, yeah. So they had the they had these little containers, and I had the coconut pieces, and I still like they were fun, but I still reflexively eat them. And every time I eat them, I'm like, oh, this is before flavor was invented. Like, like <laughs> it's really like I, I think they need to add like the little you know the little Chocolate. like like little lemon, maybe some salt and like chili powder to it, like you'd get on a beach in Mexico. Maybe, or something. maybe some ice, some rum. Is it filling <laughs> though? Is it one of those things that just like maybe. Oh. It's- that tasty, but it like fills you up and you're, you're, feeling it is so filling. Healthy. 
Really? Like, like you, you know, I'll eat one of those and I'll be like, oh, I really wanted to have some chicken legs for dinner, but now I don't know. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to eat them anyways, but it's not going to be as pleasurable as I thought wow. it should be. High fiber. Like, I guess that's the question I, I'm asking. So is it high fiber filling? I don't know. I never, I don't, I haven't eaten a lot of coconut to really know that, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Where, where do you stand on, on uh, candy ginger? Oh, yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> Me too. But some people can't stand it. And, uh, you know, you buy it so they, they don't eat it, like my kids. And then you eat it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a problem with uh, with candy and sweets. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know if this is like a, a dad thing or a me thing, but I often wonder, like, what if we didn't buy a whole bunch of sweets? And then I wouldn't have to worry about the kids eating too much sweets and everything. But I think that's just, that's not realistic. You know, it's just part of life that they're going to want to eat sweets and do things like that. Talk about a chart. There's got to be a chart of like optimal sweets eating, not necessarily for health and dentist satisfaction, but for just sort of like ease of quality of life, right? <laughs> like as a parent, like just like. Well, and, and also there's like, you know, depends on the, the quality of the, the candy you're eating. That's true. Yeah. How about candy corn? Ooh. Candy well, corn is, I threw you a curveball there. You, you did. Cause it's like, it's something you don't think about, but then, you know, when you get it, you're like, why haven't I been eating this? And then after you eat it, you're like, oh yeah, that's why I don't eat this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I would only modify one thing to say, like, I think the people in my family constantly are thinking of candy corn. It's just like, <laughs> it's always, it's always there kind of like, you know, whatever religion you have, your deity or deities, it's just like always there on your shoulder. Well, Being Sunday like, hey, morning's candy for candy corn. corn. <laughs> <laughs> remember me? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of things that are asking you if you uh, remember them, do you remember developer productivity? Oh, yeah. I live it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, you know, there's been, I think, I think it started last month when, uh, uh, I'll use the old podcaster joke, our friends over at McKinsey. We probably have at least one friend at McKinsey. I'm sure you know somebody. Yeah, yeah, probably. So I, I know there, I, I, uh, you know, I know there's uh, one of our listeners works at Accenture and is way into like AI and using it, which is was fun to talk uh, with them about. However, over at McKinsey, uh, they they wrote uh, a report. This is, I think, maybe report is too strong of a word. They had a blog entry that you could download as a PDF, uh, and I think this is maybe the second one after their Developer Velocity Index, the DVI. Uh, which used to be a type of cable, if I remember. I started um, Legacy Conf. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> that's something maybe we sh- we can go over in the uh, the uh, the short after show. Go over all the cables, the ports, <laughs> firewire, zip drives. However, they came out with one, and uh, they were suggesting that. I mean, the whole premise was, of course, because you look at McKinsey, the other management consultants, their customers are the executives management i think in like the marxist term where it's like the the uh the capitalists who own the company and determine uh you know they they they, they own the means of production or, or whatever and so they kind of are reaping all the uh i don't know some real cory doctro enemies sort of situation <laughs> and uh you know the premise was that like uh tracking software developer productivity always seems impossible a bit of a uh uh uh, opaque box, if you will. And they were like, actually, don't accept that. You can measure it. And so what they did <laughs> is they combined together the Dora metrics and the space metrics, which as I always like to mention, they should have named Spice. I'm sure you could come up with something that starts with an I that's the same as whatever it starts with an A. It'd be much cooler than space. It's less spacey. 
more spicy. That'll be the name of my metrics. Uh, and they added in four of their own metrics, uh, which I should know because I read through this like three or four times today. But these extra four metrics are basically tracking like developer uh, skills, competency, the developer contributions, which is, you know, the activity and as they say, parenthetically, like in JIRA or whatever, normalized for something or another. The the I think it's the developer velocity index or velocity developer index, whatever it may be, which is and this is the thing that the management consultant group love to do, which which maybe I'll parenthetically get to why. But they love to give you a benchmark comparing you against other people who are similar in your industry, other companies, other publicly traded companies, usually. Um, and so I think the DVI is relative to other companies. So you can see how normal, abnormal, how high performing you are. Very Dora sort of thinking there. Now, parenthetically, why do why do uh, the big management consultant firms like to compare you to your cohorts? Because their whole thing, like back when Bain was founded, way back by those engineering people, I think splintered off of Goldman. I forget the exact history. But their whole deal was you hire us to increase your share price. And so you want to know where you are relative to your cohort for share price. So that's kind of like their whole basis of like, you know, you you, uh, you only want to be so tall next to the other grass and you want to have predictable returns so you don't surprise people or kind of inflate your valuation. Then it goes down, blah, blah, blah. Right. So that's a good context to keep in mind for all this stuff. It's, it's all about the almighty share price or shareholder value. And then I think maybe, maybe Brandon or Matt Ray, you remember, but I think the other index, I don't remember what the other metric they added was, but there were four different new metrics that they added. Uh, and this created a little bit in, in, in the, the, the developer, definitely in the newsletter world, in the agile world. I was reminded, if you remember, this might've been 10 years ago. Do you remember when Gartner came out with bimodal IT? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's 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 it wasn't quite as <clears throat> as hefty as the backlash against bimodal IT, but it certainly felt like that, right? It had the same sort of like, oh, look at these jokers and and dry clean shirts with their PDFs. They don't know what they're talking about. And then there were there were there were several, uh, you know, I, I read these a lot too. Very very kind of excellent critiques of the uh, the developer productivity additions that, that McKinsey was seeking to add here. And to summarize them, and I think I think these are things that we all know, the uh, uh, but that need to be, you know, you got to tell people over and over again, is uh, I, I think there's three things that I learned. One, uh, when it comes to developer productivity, you're always supposed to measure the team and not the individual, which I think uh, is true for most all metrics if they're applied to you. You never like, and, and I think, I think the second one is that of course you would like to measure business outcomes or value, you know, whatever term of art you want to use, you want to measure the impact or the effect. And I forget if that's with an E or an A, you know, we should just fix that. Like <laughs> we don't need to have these two words that basically mean the same thing, except in like temporally different. And it's very confusing. I'm not into that. Just let's go fix that. We'll call up uh, Webster or whoever. Uh, and then the third thing is that, and this is the one that I think is 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 often, I don't know, not objectionable, but like a little a little funny, is that like, well, management is going to misuse metrics and people are going to game the metrics, right? right? Which which this last one is sort of like, why are we doing anything, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I mean the 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 counter to all this does come off as very nihilistic. Like 
you know, you, you can't measure me. I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I defy your, your attempts to quantify, you know, my existence, but I mean, there's some weight. You got to try something. I, I, I'm willing to throw uh, McKinsey a, a bone on that. Like you got to try something. Um, but as, you know, as many people are going to point out, like, well, whatever you try, I'm going to gain, which, mm. you know, is that, is that the right thing? Core doctor would say, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, th- this is why this is why engineering managers make the big bucks, right? They have to mm. figure out how to how to, you know, take these unmanageable cats and get them, you know, herded in the right direction. And they're the ones who generally are getting measured. And then they have to decide, well, you know, how how do I decide which developers are, you know, pulling the most or, you know, are, are, you know, making the team better. And so then you get into like, well, you know, there's a lot of um, on on the developer side, you know, developers talking to it, developers, you know, they're aware of, of these outside. Some of them are aware that, you know, people are trying to figure out why what you're doing is so like hard to, you know, pay attention to. And, you know, People, that's why they make fun of rockstar programmers because they're like, you know, they're going in, they're trashing the place, and everyone sees a big show, but they don't realize <laughs> that they left a big mess. Um, and, you know, the 10x developer idea gets ridiculed because, you know, you can write a lot of code, but there's a lot more to being a developer, a good developer, than just writing code. It's right. it's those meetings, it's those explanations, it's spending time mentoring folks, writing documentation. And when, when, when developers talk to developers, they're like, that's what it means to be a good developer. And then when McKinsey shows up, they're like, hmm, that's hard to quantify. Could you just go back to writing code? And, exactly. yeah. you know, that's the tension. And, and, and I, and I think, I think, I think you've, you've, uh, you've kind of, uh, uh, made a good, a good collage of, <laughs> of the, uh, you know, the, the best reason to object to this kind of stuff is, is the, uh, there's two things there, I think, in, in what you're saying. One is like, now there, there's one person, this guy, Dan North, who wrote this up and he made a good point that like, actually, probably for over 50 years, we've been trying to measure developer productivity. We mm-hmm. put a lot of thought into this, which is true. But I think even, even after that 50 years, it still is a little squishy. At, at some point, right? Like well, it's, as, it's as thought works. I mean, it's pure, just, you know, coming out of your head, which is always, it's like saying, Kote, give me the top five poets of all time. Now, now, now here, <laughs> here, here's, 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 this could derail into an area where I don't understand what's being said. Uh, but there are several sports references made in, in the rebuttals here. Finally bringing Brandon back in. <laughs> and, and, and they raise the point that you have these, 10x they don't put it this way but i'm rephrasing you have these 10x sports team players but like you know like this almost seems like a dangerous thing to bring up is that you do have a very team-based sport unless you're playing tennis or golf i guess where you have to have a lot of collaboration you got a lot of variables going on who knows what's happening but like well tell me if this statement is wrong but uh is it objectively like objectively there are players on that team that are much more valuable and important than other players. And like that can kind of like, not only can it be measured, but it is measured 
like very at least by market forces and then also like numbers and shit but like i th- i think that precision of measuring an individual's contribution to the team the feel is and and we'll get to an exception that 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 Dan North came up with that i think is is actually a, a good ex- a good good uh uh whatever here but measuring an individual's performance on a team of developers is difficult or it's actually not difficult, but you can't let those fucking capitalists do it because they'll screw you over. But I think maybe the whole thing though comes back to like, I guess this is like the most, I don't know, fundamental question is just sort of like this idea that like the game metaphor and the implication that there's sort of like a zero sum game, because if we're playing a game, well, I'm going to, you know, manipulate the metrics and it's sort of like, well, at the end, we're just working together to try to build something towards a common goal. And like, I don't know, like the need to measure every conceivable thing here in itself maybe gets in the way of ultimately Mm -hmm. like achieving that goal. You know what I mean? So it's like if you're close to like building something and you're like built and if you're like, you know, an executive and building this piece of software is important to you. It's sort of like you're involved. Do you mean like you're kind of watching, you know, so you go back to the sports metaphor, like if you're the coach and you're like watching the game, I could see like maybe I'm watching the game. I see like Matt, you know, twists his ankle. Right. But I, I literally saw it and I'm like, oh, Matt's not playing that well. But like, I know exactly why. Right. And it's not like mm. well, we still need a, a, a person in that position. Right. And uh, and I'm, I'm satisfied that like, you know, in this case, you know, Matt's ankle will heal or something like that. So it's sort of like like, you know, you can it's like you can take in information by like seeing what's happening and make adjustments without having to kind of go to all of these different statistics. Like you were kind of mentioning some of the ones. Right. Um, that. Uh, McKinsey wrote, and I'll just to recap them, it's like inner outer loop time spent. It's like, it doesn't really matter. Like in the sense of like, if someone's just like, I got to work more on the outer loop because it needs to get fixed. Like, that's fine. Like, I don't need to like penalize you uh, for that or contribution analysis. It's like, I don't, that one is like super hard. <laughs> I'm not even totally sure what that means, but like, you know, if especially when you see a senior developer, a senior developer is sort of like helping other people like get over blockers or, you know, you know, address issues or get through a complicated thing, like very valuable. Right. But they, they, maybe their, their time on keyboard is pretty low because they were just like helping someone with something really, really hard. Right. Or, and then, you know, like talent capability store is another one. It's like, I don't know. I don't want someone like out just learning like the new popular programming language and not like, you know what I mean? Not implementing the thing. Sometimes it's better to be like, no, just use the talent you have. Like, let's like knock out this HTML and this YAML and all this stuff that's got to get done. So, so I don't know. I, I guess it's just my whole point of all of that is just sort of like, you know, the idea that you're like you're detached and you don't really see what's going on. And to me, it's maybe like the whole problem with this. And, and it strikes me as like, this is sort of like how management consultants manage themselves because they're on a bunch of projects where that a lots of people mm. don't know what's going on. Whereas like if we were building a piece of software and I was an executive, I would either have an executive in who's heavily involved and kind of knows what's going on, or I would be involved if it truly is important to my, you know, my corporation. Yeah. I, you, I think you bring up the other area that I think the, uh, this, this, this whole situation evokes in a good way, which is, you know, if you if management doesn't know how software works, then that's kind of fucked, right? Like, <laughs> well, like, but, like, but that's, like, you that's, know, that's if, why if, startups don't hire McKinsey, right? Because they're small enough to be involved. 
right, and the right, folks right. who do hire them are the ones who have you know layers and layers of sub managers between them and the coal face, and, and, and so you know you hire somebody like this to to tell you what you should know. Like, well, if you want to know more about what's going on, you have to be involved, and you can't do that at a certain size organization. And and, and so McKinsey's saying, well, here's ways that you can you know squeeze out more. You know, here's how do you get better reporting out of your your minions? And you know, there's there's always going to be a level of information loss and filtering. Maybe McKinsey's onto something. Maybe they're not. But but what what you're going to end up with is like, like you know, a game of telephone and yes men as mm. you work your way up to the top. So keep your company smaller. How's that sound? Yeah. So, so th- this, 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 this brings up as, as I was reading through all this stuff over and over again to make sure that I, I kind of understood or at least thought I understood what was going on. You know, the, 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 the little Brandon in my head was, was, was piping up and thinking and, and saying things like, well, I mean, at Google, do you think everyone is like a great developer? No, they just make a lot of money. So it's fine. Right. Like, yeah. like in this, in the sense of like uh, being six, well, we could use another sports metaphor. Is it uh, uh success is the best deodorant <laughs> that, that like, if you, uh, you know, if everything is going well and you have good, uh, good uh, business outcomes, then like, sure, you can hunt around for like slackers, I guess. I mean, even my diction there is indicating the, uh, the, uh, the problem with individual analysis, or also you could be like, things are fine. I guess we're doing a good job, right? Like, like if you can actually rate, if you can actually connect to uh, uh, an outcome, if you will, if the business is being successful, to some extent, I you don't really need to question your developer productivity because obviously it's ample. Well, right, which is which is why people get really riled up about things like uh, stack ranking, you know, because they're like you're just looking for a reason to cut people you know you i mean the assumption being that there must be some percentage of people who are not good at their jobs and you know that that's that's the real objection to like you know stacked ranking is you know well if i'm not doing the things that um are highly visible i'm gonna get put on the bottom but the way you, but if you spend your all your time doing things that are highly visible, you let, leave a lot of technical debt behind you and problems for the next person to clean up. Which I don't know. You know, there's there, that's why resume driven development is a thing. Um, is I think the stack raking you hit on like a good thing is like I don't. I feel like in some ways like it's fine if we just kind of all acknowledge that like, Hey, like some level of stack ranking is going to go on no matter what you say. Oh yeah, it, it, it is. And it's just like. And if you just kind of say like, it's always subjective, right? I mean, this is the whole thing I always say. It's like any type of stack ranking is, has a lot of subject, uh, subjectiveness to it. And it's like, you know, sometimes in your career, you'll be on top and sometimes you'll be at the bottom. And most of the time you'll probably be in the middle. And that's why I think kind of like, I was just sort of like terming all of this, uh, all reports like this, sort of like I'm calling them like these productivity playbooks, right? It's like, I think, you know, ex- just people that find themselves in executive positions are just bombarded with this kind of stuff. Like you need to be more productive. You need to be managing your team. You need to be. And it's like, part of me gets it, but another part of me is always like, it's all like a distraction, much like, I think we talked about like, you know, the slides, slides Benedict last week, which are like these industry market overviews, which are really interesting. But at the, at the end of the day, what's really kind of drive success is like, 
Are you building something that solves a problem in a compelling way that people want? Like that to me is the magic. And all these things, like all these questions outside of that are sort of distractions. Like, yes, someone can say there's this great market for Kubernetes, but if you don't have the right product that's helping in that world, then it's not going to help you. And the same thing, we all know it. Like you can have a highly successful engineering team that's like doing everything right and building the absolute wrong thing. And so it's like, to me, it, it comes back to, if you're the executive, it's like, you've got to be figuring out the answers to those other questions. And the reason we don't see, you know, people put out like the answer to that is like, that is a very, very difficult question. Finding product market fit is like, there is no magic bullet or way to do it. And that's why it's so hard. And I think because it's so hard, People sort of like retreat to these like very well-known, very well-written, you know, reports that sort of like, if you will, almost like pretend that you have all the answers. Mm. You know, it'd be a fun report. This, this is something I think some, some management consulting firm could do with some, uh, you know, our mythical summer interns. But like, let's see, it's of course going to be a two by two, but you want to do a study of, let's call it one, one of the axes is almost magicness of the industry which is a way of sort of like quantifying how difficult and complicated it is like like somewhere in the middle of magicness is maybe software development and then on the extreme and then and then after that is probably like pharmaceutical and genomic research and then and then beyond that is like cold fusion or something i think right? yeah like, you can say like music Right. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mean, how do you write a hit song? It's like, I mean, that's here good. Like thousands that's, of years and it's still like, I don't know. Some that, that's, that's true. Like, like, like that's, that's good. Also, you would have that on there. Like t tonight we watched, uh, like I'm a teenage Kraken from like, uh, what is it? You know, the studio that brought Shrek. Right. And then you just watch that movie and you're like, well, this is obviously crap compared to any <laughs> Disney movie. Right. Like even, even compared to like, you know, Rapunzel this movie is not good, right? Which oh. is like kind of one of the, you know, not, not so great Rapunzel movies or, and, and uh, Disney movies. And so obviously there is something incredibly complicated about how Disney like makes these really good kids movies versus like the crudes or whatever, right? And so like, so that's good, Brandon. Yeah, you've got this, this magicness, right? And then I think the other vector would be something like, um, subject matter expertise of new CEO. And then so what you would want to track is when you get a new CEO and they go into a new company, like, do they need to be an expert in the magicness for it to be successful? Or do they not have to be like, you know, the I think one of the most famous ones is, well, back in the, the like 50s and the 60s, you would have these people from like, you know, who used to do like uh, bombing run calculations for World War Two, like go run Ford. Or like, you know, go go run whatever that aluminum company was. And they would just have like a very like simplistic approach to stuff. Or you would have the Pepsi guy go run Apple. And then that didn't work out really well, right? <laughs> so it's, it's like this question of like, in which industries do you actually have to know what you're doing? Like, yeah. and not, not know what you're doing as far as capital allocation, strategy, talking with the board, all of that kind of stuff. But like, actually like, Oh yeah, I used to be on the line and make sure that we rejected the bad chickens and put the good chickens in the containers, right? Like I think a lot of this too, where it comes from, I think it comes from the world of manufacturing. So whatever, mid 1900s, 50s, where that's sort of like the idea of general management came up was like, oh, there's a factory 
And the factory, you kind of already know the factory produces something people want. And it's about how can I get the factory to run more efficiently, less defects. And that's where I think a lot of, and even today, that metaphor, um, you you know, it's amazing when you stop and like, listen, how often like the factory metaphor is still used, right? Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, like even, even sometimes we'll be like, oh, this is a music factory or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, there isn't like a group of people, although there are groups of people that come together to try to write music. It's not like there's like one good factory and you just hire a good general What about CNC Music Factory? Uh, (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Well, there are exceptions. And so uh, where I was going with that is just sort of like, I think that that mindset comes, you know, sort of started there. It's a very much a management consulting mindset, right? It's just like, we know where it is. And I think we see in software, the place we see applied you know, rightfully or wrongfully is private equity. That's sort of like taking over a mm. well-known software business that does have a big set of customers, uh, probably some type of large SaaS recurring revenue. And you're looking at like, how do I just make it more efficient? So probably applying something like these metrics at that level, kind of in that area. Right, right, Probably right, right. is yeah. reasonable, but it's just before that, right? If you're in the high growth kind of, you know, new emerging market, I think applying much of this is probably completely a waste of time, right? You probably just well, need to get in, get in there with the team and see like what's going on. Right. Okay. Okay. I, th- I think, I think, you know, you can always use uh, a bubble chart to add a, th- to sneak in a third dimension without having to blow people's minds. So I think we're going to convert it to a bubble chart and the size of the bubble, maybe the size of the bubble becomes the CEO's domain experience. We'll see, we can play around with it. But one, the third thing we want to measure in our chart is like, the need to do something new to like change because because as as you bring up like you know for people like me hopefully this isn't always the case but like when you when you have like a pe firm that's like taking over a software company one you know the cash cow strategy is like let's change as little as possible and just like keep getting paid to do kind of as little as possible right and so like in that case you can have more of a factory mentality because people will be like, oh, we need to spend $5 million to get this uh, this uh, innovative coder in here so that we can adopt to this new feature. And the CEO would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, our job is not to adapt and new, do, do new things. It's <laughs> to like keep people paying this money until they absolutely don't want to. Like, so we're not going to spend money on improving things. That was the whole deal. Here. Right. I think it's worth calling out though. Like you kind of were joking about cash cow, but that that comes from, a lot, I think, I don't know the original one, but BCG, that matrix, right? Rising uh, yes. cash cow, right? That comes from management consulting. So, and you know, what always happens, right? Is like, you know, the, that chart is always so funny because it's like, well, cash cow, it's like, well, just keep doing what you're doing more productively, right? And it's like probably the easiest one, right? It's just like, fine, apply some of these metrics, you know, cut back a little bit, whatever, that's good. And then you get to like the thing that's completely failing. You're just like, stop doing that, which is like, okay, which is the cow. Like doctor. It's like, don't stop. That hurts. Stop doing that. Right. It's just the answer. But then the rising star, which is always the other one is just where they just say like, uh, invest, but that, you know, that's all that's ever given just invest. And it's like, well, invest in like, <laughs> in what, <laughs> what should, yeah, that's the whole question. The question isn't like, should we invest? It's like, what part of this should we invest in it? And how does it go to being a rising star? Right. But those, every time I'm in those meetings, they just completely pun on that. They're just like, well, you should invest in that. And then, and then people will say something like, all right, everyone send in your list of ideas, how much revenue that thing will, will bring in. Well, if I knew that, you know, like if I could do that, I wouldn't work here. I would just go pick stocks and be worth millions of dollars. Right. 
right? Like, yeah. so I don't know. There's always this moment in these charts where I just think it's like the hard questions are just completely uh, punted on. Yeah. I, you know, you know, just to, uh, uh, under underscore what you were saying there, Brandon, there's, there's a lot of this, like uh, a lot of that kind of like strategy, like, you know, canvases and workbooks you're supposed to do. And oftentimes I look at them and I think like, if I could fill out that worksheet or that canvas, I wouldn't need to fill it out. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like if I could get all of that information and get decisions around it and actually know what to do, then I would be doing it. Like I, it, it would anyways, but so, so, you know, now Brandon, you're, you, uh, I think every year, multiple times a year, you get recertified as a product manager from the Pro- product <laughs> manager <times>. certification Institute. <laughs> if only, if only there was such a thing that was. That how, was how, if, if we, if we were to look at, I mean, does the notion of product manager productivity exist? Like well, what, what I was thinking, I think, Ooh. I think it probably, I mean, sure. I think we would have to dig through. I think we'd find a lot of uh, things right. But it would say stuff that again, everyone knows like, well, you should talk for customers and figure out what their problems are. And it's like, yeah. And then you should solve those problems in a way that's really compelling to them and that they want to buy. And it's like, well, yes, like I understand the questions, but like figuring that out. And this is sort of like, like writing a hit song kind of thing. It's like, it's always much more complicated. And it's like, to me, it's a lot of trial and error, which is like, nobody wants to hear that. There are people, mm. and I, just like there's this productivity playbooks in development, there's like productivity playbooks in uh, product management. It's like, okay, I went out and I did so many customer interviews and then I documented that. And then I've you know read up on a certain kinds of technology and then I sized the market. Uh, and then I figured out you know, where my competitive differentiation would be, right? And then if you did all of these things, boom, well, of course, every time you launched a new product or a new release that would be successful. Of course, we know people do all these things and completely fail all the time. And then somebody out of nowhere builds something that nobody thinks has any use for anything and then explodes onto the market as being very, very successful. And I think um, it's just the arbitrariness, I think, of product management is sort of more obvious, right? There is like, it's very hard to put metrics That's around. That's not going to stop McKinsey, um, though. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, don't, I, I think it would be stuff around customer interviews and market size. Yeah, the, the, I mean, they're like, here's how you're going to start, you know, you, welcome to your new company, CEO. Here's how you're going to start measuring your product managers. Are they putting in enough uh, customer interviews? Have they set out a roadmap with three, six, and 12-month you know, exactly. horizons? You know, if they're not doing that, let them go. You know, replace them with, you know, somebody for, I think from our no, it's just, it's kind of one of the things, that, and it's true. It's like, there isn't anything, you know, kind of to Jay's original point, like, there is no, like, you know, perfect background or like magic qualification to like be a product manager. And I think the reason um, it it, less of these reports, I think are compelling to executives is that those executives kind of feel like they could just do it themselves. They're just like, cause like anyone that's worked in product management has walked in after doing a lot of work on a roadmap and just had some executive be like, no, that's not right. Like I, I just uh, like, whatever, it could be anything. It could be like, I just talked to so-and-so and and we're going to do this next. Or like, you know, I was just using the product in that color blue. It's a little too aggressive. I think it needs to be, <laughs> I, I was thinking a darker, you know, and it's just like, cause it is true though. It's like everyone can have an opinion. Like there isn't well, like that, a, that, yeah. uh, an objective way. Whereas an executive is much like, much less likely to walk in and be like, Oh, what kind of sorting algorithm are you using? Exactly. Here? Like, that, yeah. And uh, use th- this other that's, sorting. That's, that's why they need McKinsey to tell them that those developers are screwing around. That's right. Like, it is true. Product they managers, they can tell they're like, Brandon, Absolutely. I don't like that blue. You clearly don't know how to do your job. Whereas Absolutely. the developer, they're like, you know, um, have you tried a bubble sort? You know, <laughs> that, that's just not going to fly. <laughs> that would be fantastic if, if some of the management consulting firms so like, were like, wrap it up. We're like algorithms. This Let's go not, over them. 
I was going to say, but like to kind of maybe like, you know, dovetail all of our, just tie this all together. It's like, but you know, to me, it's like, it's okay. Like when you walk into the room of the executives, it's like, if it's a zero sum game where if they move something on the chart and I feel like I've lost the whole thing, you know, you've lost, everything's losing. Whereas if we're like, Hey, this is, this is what I'm thinking. Right. And like, if we just walk in and we say the engineering team generally delivers what we want, what we specify on a predictable time frame, and it's pretty frequent. Like that's kind of like all we like. If we got that in the engineering team, check, right? Like I think mm. like, I'm not going to worry about that. Okay, now let's look at this list. Like, what do you think it should be? What do I think it should be? What is our hunches? Where do we think we maybe you know don't have enough information, or where do we just need to make some bets? And it's like okay, because at that point, if you're just sort of negotiating around, like, well, I think this, I think export CSV, even though it's not important. You don't think it's important. I think it's going to be a huge winner. And another person says, no, no, no. Dashboards are going to be a huge winner, right? And it's like, okay, well, let's Make just kind of figure out what makes the most sense. And then let's just learn from it and not treat it as a zero-sum game. Like you as a product manager, I'm not going to come you know, fire you because you pushed the feature that was wrong when you had limited information. Uh, or if that's the case of what it is, then you're just going to see a lot of churn uh, in the executive and product ranks, which is very, very common. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, you know when when I was reading through this, I think I think the uh, the the kind of summary that I, I wrote in my head and into the web browser, which I emailed out in my newsletter. If you want my gripping analysis of this whole thing, if you go to newsletter.cote.io, you can subscribe. And you know, if you're writing comments to us as we record this, or you're listening to it, you certainly will enjoy the newsletter. If you go to newsletter.cote.io, there's my plugging. You know, you got to do that. I think, I think, I think BCG would say that's important if you want to be a rising star instead of a dog. Uh, and so, I think that it's it's almost like if if you're not having good outputs, if if uh, uh, the company's not making money, then you want to like figure out uh, what to do to improve. How do you figure out what to do to improve? If you don't know how software is done, you're kind of flying blind. So you start to like gather some metrics. And you're going to like sort those metrics and try to like identify stuff. And, you know, probably the all the whole flaw in this thinking is that like, I know if I get rid of people, that will fix my problems, right? <laughs> which, which will just sort of like optimize costs, you know, to, or it won't even optimize, it just will reduce your costs. Or if I find the people who aren't performing well, I can get rid of them, so forth and so on. But I, I think, I think the core issue is that like, if you can't really determine what, value your application developers are bringing then you should fix that problem or not care right like figure out like what's going wrong otherwise but like maybe maybe the issue is like this level of detail of tracking an individual's sort of productivity i don't know even a team productivity that gets complicated if like you know if you're supporting some complicated banking application that's composed of the effort of like 50 teams how is that different? Right. Like, like it's, it's difficult to track that stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's just a magic box and it's hard to diagnose. However, I'll just note this. It's, it's, if you go look at that guy, Dan North's post, he does have a, a, a actual, like, it's almost like, here's the secret of how to evaluate individual developer productivity, which don't tell management because they'll just fuck it up. Like (laughs) don't give it to them. But as he goes over and thinking through this, I haven't developed in a long time, but it seems true. He says, well, the way you measure individual performance is you ask the other people in the team what they think yep. of that person. Yep. 
Because everyone else in the team will know if they are. Everybody knows if they're pulling their weight, if they have, if they're delivering on their potential, if they just need help, if you've already give them help and they're like giving up, like the the teammates will know if that person like uh, needs to be helped, dealt with, is great or is just fine. And uh, if if you ask them, they will tell you, Uh, which is almost that makes sense, but. I don't know if you can operationalize that, but then it kind of comes with the thing of like, and by the way, uh, don't tell anyone. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like a mob mentality of like, we all know what's going on here, but you yeah. never go outside of the family. Marta for developers. I do yeah. think, okay, you know, slightly related to this is sort of like the other side of this whole coin. I thought this, uh, this recent news out of unity. So unity being, uh, one of the most popular, I guess, gaming engines, um, they basically fired their CEO this week. And I think this is kind of back to like an interesting question about like, what are the most important problems? So it's like, I have no idea if the unity developers are productive or not. I hear good things about unity. So I assume it, assume it will be, but in this case, the CEO, you know, went out and decided to change the licensing model of unity and basically go from a one-time fee to a reoccurring fee, uh, which was uniformly uh, hated by ev- all of the customers. He even <laughs> went on to call the developers. Uh, I think he said some disparaging comments. I won't say, won't repeat exactly what they were here. Uh, and then ultimately got himself fired. So I thought this was just an interesting um, a call back to like, uh, I don't know, Kote, maybe something you had. Uh, uh, developers are the new kingmakers way back in the Redbunk ga- days. And I just thought this was a good example of like, well, here's a specific example of where the developers actually did dethrone the king uh, quite uh, unceremoniously. And so he, he's gone. Yeah. Well, to be clear, that was Stephen O'Grady, who was the, the kingmaker guy, which, okay. which I saw last week at the Monktoberfest in Maine, Portland, Portland, Maine. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I mixed up those states earlier today, so I've I've got it uh, mixed up in my head. But yeah, I mean, I, that that is that is I don't know the Unity stuff well enough, but it does seem like it sounds like one of those things where the where management misunderstood who the important stakeholders and parties were in what they were doing right like like one of one of the you know if you if you have like a uh if you haven't had haven't forced yourself to read through like you know super boring michael porter strategy foundational stuff just like i mean anyone who like who's ever read uh uh you know adam smith seems really boring uh but like (laughs) Like one of the things that people often miss out as part of your strategy is taking into account your suppliers and your partners, right? Like, and, and the channel, like they have a huge role in your, your, uh, your strategy. So like in a lot of these kind of like, and not in the uh, cloud native sense of it or developer sense, and a lot of these like platformy businesses, it turns out your developers or the people who are writing software that gets sold through your system are incredibly important and you can't fuck with them. Yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. think it's just an interesting uh, kind of, it's a good example of like, here's a place where it did backfire. Right. Whereas I think the other places where we've talked about a lot, like HashiCorp and Reddit, right. Where there was like, Hey, they made these huge changes. A lot of developers don't like it so far. There haven't been any, like this, there haven't been kind of a, an executive or strategy re-entrenchment uh, to this level. I guess, no, you know, I was taking it back. What, who was it? Docker was it, who was the one that like, uh, changed their mind on um, was it Docker Hub? I'm trying to think of like they announced it and then they immediately yeah yeah. But um, I think everyone had already kind of started fleeing. 
yeah. So that was maybe like, well, that's an example of, I guess, someone actually, it wasn't to the level of like someone got fired that I know of, but like, so it's just kind of interesting to track these things. It's like, okay, in this case, it was maybe the, the, well, the penalty you could do for management um, in a bunch of other cases, like to be decided if anything comes of it. But I, I, I mean, you know, I'm, the, the rationale given in the article, you know, how true or not it is, is he kind of unilaterally decided to do this and was very antagonistic in his approach towards, you know, the help, the, the, the developers. And so, you know, clearly, I mean, reading through it, like Unity's always lost money. And so clearly they needed to do something. And so, you know, this executive decided, well, here's what we're going to do. Whether or not that was well thought out, whether or not he actually implemented it all on his own, he definitely took the fall. Um, but something has to be done, I guess. Uh, you know, so who, you know, Jim Whitehurst from, from Red Hat has, you know, taken over temporarily. But, uh, you know, whoever comes in will have to, like, make everyone happy again. Uh, but also still has to figure out how to make money. Yeah, and so maybe you're right. That, we'll have to keep an eye on this one because it does seem like, uh, you know, with the background of Whitehurst and Red Hat, and like he certainly has you know navigated these waters before. So we'll have to see. Maybe he comes in and, uh, if you will, as the white knight, gets him back on on track, proposes something just slightly less onerous, but is maybe, exactly. viewed, as, yeah. maybe is viewed as good. And he, and he can be like, yep, I'm going to leave now and I'll take uh, another huge check. Yeah, the, the board meeting before the announcement was, okay, you want to retire when? Check it out. Here's what we need you to do. Go throw a bunch of hand grenades. You jump out on them. Don't worry. Your retirement's already sorted. Yeah, sure. No, I, you're right. I mean, obviously, he's going to do We need uh, to do this. He did just fine. But it's the just strategic. Like, you rarely strategic see the, retirement. Uh, retired effective immediately. You just don't normally see that. So it's, it'll be a fun one to watch, I think. For sure. Now, now, now that guy is going to mess up my bubble chart because wasn't he the CEO of Delta? Before he was the CEO of Red Hat, like hence, yeah. hence being in Atlanta. I, I could go look this up, but that's terrible podcasting. Uh, but like he goes from the airline industry to the open source enterprise infrastructure industry. And, you know, yeah. by the numbers does great. Right. Like, like I think Red Hat had a good exit. Everything was great. Red Hat to IBM is a career, you know. Yeah. And and then, and then he's going to go work, you know, it's sure it's software, but it's also like he's an advisor for Silver Lake. Yeah. It's only the interim that I remember. So he probably, okay, fair fair, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. One of their investors said, hey, even, okay, even, even, even the Unity thing aside. So this guy is, 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 uh, he's, he's going to be the weird outlier on my chart. Because he went but from Delta to Red Hat. I mean, I mean, you know, reportedly, Red Hat was always heavily engineer driven, and they had a product that like just kind of sold itself, kind of like you know Google Ads, like you mm. know whatever anything else does, like people are going to keep you know buying those ads no matter how many. Whatever, you I feel know. like, I mean, Matt, I love your opinion here because I think you know a bunch of people there. I feel like people at Red Hat generally like spoke pretty highly of him like i feel like there no was no but I, I think it's because he didn't ruffle feathers i i think because he he probably this is the sign of the good manager and and the things that like those you know executives going from military to alcoa to wherever could sort out is like a lot of these things are 80 percent the same you're going to have a management structure you're going to have you know sales marketing manufacturing or engineering as we like to call it and you know, if you can keep that org chart happy 
if you can like, you know, get everyone to excel in what they're supposed to be doing, that's the key to a good manager, right? Is, is you know, and, and whether the domain may or may not matter. I mean, Delta to Red Hat, that's that's a bit of a change, right? Um, so, so you know, maybe Whitehurst stopped it, you know, popped in. He's like, okay, uh, we have a product that is very compelling. I need to keep engineering happy. Um, what do I need to do to do that? Boom. Okay. Uh, salespeople need to be able to sell it. What do I need to do to keep them happy? They need something from engineering. What does product management need to give to make them both happy? Okay. Maybe he's just a good manager without having to yeah. be the master yeah, of the domain. Right. Well, also too, remember, and this is back to like the whole when Red Hat truly was, you know, open source to the core. So like he somehow during his tenure, he he seemed to keep everyone pretty happy, or at least at least there wasn't. And I'm sure there were plenty of like disagreements, but well, you know, it's the halo well, effect, he, right? Success he, breeds success. Yeah, well, he did, well, of course he was, he was a good manager. Red Hat made a lot of money. True, that's right. Success is uh, is what would you say? It's uh, winning. I think I didn't want to correct you at the time, Coach. I think it's winning is the best. Oh yes, yeah, yes. classic uh, sports quote. So is that a, is that a dead cast or something? Maybe he can, uh, he'll win again at unity. It'd be fun for us to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, I think, I think we've sorted a lot of things out here. We've, uh, we figured out developer productivity, magical, hard to measure. You should know what you're measuring. Maybe that's what it is. I think the lesson we've learned here is, uh, understand what you're measuring and, uh, and, and then it'll work out. If you don't understand what you're measuring, you're just going to get measurements. That's, that's <laughs> the, <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Well, speaking of just getting measurements. And not understanding what's happening. Do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? We have uh, several things I want to hit on today. One, I sent stickers to Torsten in Germany. Uh, if you'd like a sticker, just send your pollster address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. A couple of jobs. Uh, Tim wants you to work over at Biogen. They're hiring a senior manager, solution architecture, global commercial and medical it so i don't know if that job sounds exciting to you go into the jobs channel and find uh tim also uh speaking of red hat our friend uh, brian uh our friend over at red hat looks like they're hiring a a principal product marketing manager for open shift uh uh and that is a remote available position so you should uh definitely check that one out um and then uh, other thing, last week I wanted to quickly follow up on, uh, so last week Matt and I talked a lot about the wireless emergency alerts. So I learned a bunch of things about this. So I was under the impression it was uh, just a text message, but no, not at all. I was completely wrong. It is in its entire whole separate system. It was uh, built as part of the Warning Alert and Response Network Act in uh, 2008. So basically they started in 2008, Took them four years to build it. Uh, your wireless companies, they all volunteer to uh, be a part of it. And then as you probably, at least here in the United States, if you actually got the notification, you realized it wasn't a text message. It's like, at least on Apple, it's a little pop-up and it, it plays that crazy emergency sound. So yeah, it's like its own little network here. So Matt, and I think you and I were uh, guessing at how much it costs. I think it costs a lot more money. <laughs> and finally i asked you man i was like did you get it and you're like no you didn't well it turns out it's all about geofencing so if you were not i guess in a an american border with a yeah. participating uh, cell tower then of course you didn't get it because you're in australia and everything's good so now, uh interesting to learn about the wea i i forget, i forget which day it was if it was later in the week or earlier but i was uh i was in the states sitting on a plane either going or uh or leaving the monktoberfest there and yeah, it, it went off at that time, which was uh, 
which was like I was I was ready for there just to be like chaos and Mad Max shit on the airplane, but everyone was fine. Nothing happened, which is always, you know, which is always great when everyone prepares and nothing happens. We all learn the wrong lesson. So yeah, you you know, I, I, we need we need one of them, uh, one of them uh, libertarian economist people to study this like warning network system and be like, well, it's probably a good idea that it exists. And how did this funding and authorization go through in the U.S. government? Is it like? This vital service was so boring and incomprehensible by like the U.S. Senate that they just sort of like signed it off and everything was fine. Or was it done through a uh, executive agency? And so therefore no one was paying attention or what? Like how did this nationwide thing that affects everyone that like is intended to be there to improve the quality of life uh, like get through? With, obviously, with a strong partnership with multiple industries across cell phones, software companies, carriers, regional people feeding into it. It's almost like in an extremely boring way, just like the American bureaucracy dream. That, yeah, that well, I, make it a couple uh, things. I actually looked up the bill because I was like, I was curious, like how much like money was allocated. I couldn't find that, that you know, because listen, I'm not I'm not a Vox reporter, so I don't know where that information's hidden. But I actually looked at the whole thing. I was like, actually, this is actually pretty well written. I was like, wow. Like, I mean, because you go through it and it kind of outlines the requirements. I was like, because they wrote in a way that was sort of generic enough that people could do it. Also, because it's United States, um, there was a lot of like optional in opting in. So I think uh, AT, uh. to my knowledge, like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, they're like by far and away the three biggest. Like from what I can tell, they all opted in. There wasn't any issues. But, you know, it just like everything goes a lot easier if you just say like opt That's in. Because I think if they said something like, you have to do it, then, you know, there'd be like a lot of protests. And so I, looking at the whole bill, I was like, you're right. I was like, this is a pretty good example. And then uh, finally, final little fun fact I learned was like, it's actually used quite a bit. Um, it's just not, doesn't not nationwide. Like if you've ever gotten like an Amber alert or a mm. local weather, like severe weather alert. And it, so it's been used, I don't know, like a hundred thousand times. So it actually gets used quite a bit. And I was like, Oh, so it's like, I, the whole thing that like, kind of like, this is the moment where you kind of feel you leave government. You're like, government can work. I think things are going to be okay. Right now. I know next week I'll be like a TSA or something. Something will be wrong. I'll be like, I'm out again. Government just cannot work. But but this week after the whole WEA, I was like, it worked. It was good. So good job. Good job, US government on this one. Yeah. 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 So so I guess I guess what you're saying is what they were really testing is that when you send an email to 300 people, that all 300 of them take action based on it and, and push push the button to, to send the alert out. It's probably so. not not that ridiculous. Well, uh, there's several conferences coming up. Speaking of alerts. Uh, next week online, we have our Spring One Tour on October 17th. I'll be speaking there along with uh, several of my uh, co-workers. We got lots of talks running in parallel. And then also I have a series of talks. Yes, they're webinars, if you prefer that word. Uh, October 17th to 24th that you can uh, check out. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 436, uh, which is really close, sort of, to 486, which will be fun when we have that uh, that number. We'll have to press the turbo button. So we can get there quicker. Or was that 386s that had a turbo button? <laughs> I think they both did. Either one. Either the one. The good ones. Also, uh, KubeCon North America is coming up November 6th to 9th. And I discovered that we at VMware have a 20% off discount code that you can use. Whoa. Now, as a joke, I'm going to read the discount code off. But oh you're it's like, so get your pencil oh. out. Oh, uh, 
And uh, but remember, if you want to know this 20 percent discount code, really just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 436. It is all in capitals. KCNA23VMWEO20. And I think that's actually the letter O followed by two and zero. Happy paste. Uh, Hopefully you got that correct. Okay, I want you to like go uh, explain, go learn how this code came into an existence, and like <laughs> why, why can't why it had to be that. That is really what I wanted to know. Yeah, I think I think the mystery is that EO because we know Kubernetes, KubeCon North America, two thousand twenty-three VMworld VMware. Well, V I mean VMW VM? is the, is the stock thing, right? Oh, so VM, VMware. Okay. But what is the EO? We know what 20 is. That's 20% off. Okay. But EO. Huh. Yeah. That's probably like, was it, are they trying to like give, was it a code just for you or for anyone? No, this is just for anyone. And I verified with the person uh, who sent it to me. I, I was like, is this general use or just like special people? Well, they were like, Europe, no, right? use it everywhere. Right? Europe? No, Europe? no, but this is no. North, America. North America. I don't know. All right. I'm well, telling we'll, you, it's a mystery. Talking. Let's get mm. to it. Maybe uh, maybe Chris can find out for us and uh, write us in Slack. uh, (laughs) That's a good use of the CTO time. (laughs) And and then we also have uh, VMware Barcelona coming up, which I'll be at November sixth and ninth. VMware Explorer Barcelona and uh, and the Risk V or Five Summit is November seventh to eighth. Oh, and uh, you know Matt Ray there and Matt. I think I learned the same time as KubeCon. Matt, I, I'm, if I was not uh, incorrect in looking at my LinkedIn profile uh, updates, like I think you have a coworker that's going to this. I Is do, right? I do. Carl, so, yeah. Matt, this, this seems, I don't know, I'm sure that person is very good and very skilled, but like you have to be, the, you have to be the right person to go from your company to the risk fee. There's no way no, he's more I, passionate about it than you. Uh, he is because he's going on his own dime. Really? Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Okay. All right. Well, have I was, him uh, report in. Uh, we will. We, yes. Maybe we'll have to do some type of uh, live uh, reporting in on what's going on with uh, at the risk conference. Uh, exactly. I hear about it. And then finally, January 29th to February 1st is uh, that conference in Texas. Now, if you have a conference you want to mention, you should uh, you should contact us. And we have we have all sorts of ideas for media sponsorships uh, about things there. You know, for example. If the risk five or V summit, instead of us just mentioning it because two of the three hosts on this podcast love chips for some reason, <laughs> uh, like, like if, if they were to sponsor us, maybe they could charter uh, a jet for Matt Ray so he could go from Chicago to this risk conference yes. to participate in in one of his passionate realms, uh, risk microprocessors. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, well, uh, speaking of private jets and risk microprocessors, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend this episode? Uh, my my recommendation is a little, I think it's an independent game uh, I played for a little bit uh, called Homeseek. It's it's essentially, uh, as as my son said, um, isn't that just SimCity? But you need water. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's a post apocalyptic SimCity. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's kind of fun. It's got a like a narration thing over the top of it, little storyline going. But uh, yeah, it, I think it's on sale on Steam. So check it out. It's it's uh it's pretty fun. How about yourself, Brandon? All right. Well, my uh, recommendation here is just the Mac OS uh, Sonoma. So I I upgraded. And I think everything's just fine. It's it's great. I, I the features I like the most after all the work that the Mac OS team did is like I like the new backgrounds. I really do. I like the uh, the landscape. Are they blue? Landscape. 
you get the um you get the nice if you will i i look at i wonder if i could try to make one of those one of my virtual backgrounds but you get the this nice uh whatever we call them landscapes that were only available on the apple tv and then uh, i just like the autocorrect seems a better that seems really good. So the other thing that everyone talks about is the widgets, but like I've given up on widgets on a computer. Like I just, I don't need them. I just, I don't, I'm not a widget person. So I guess yeah. that's the thing. Um, maybe that's like, maybe that's like kind of like an email inbox kind of question. Like, are you a, a zero email inbox person or do you have like 10,000 messages in it? So I, I don't like any widgets and I don't like having a lot of extraneous email in my inbox. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. So yeah, Mac OS, you know, in two years, Matt will upgrade to Sonoma uh, and he'll, I'm, he'll get I'm waiting for the point release. I just needed to, uh, but I'm fine. I'm all in. It was like, it was no big deal. All my audio software, which is the only thing I ever worry about work just fine. So, so dive in, don't be afraid. I'm waiting for point one. I, I, I think we have some sort of like a desktop management thing that's preventing me from upgrading or something. I, I don't really <laughs> no, know. There's that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm with you on the widgets thing. Like I, I think, you know, I could see a widget of a, of a baby monitor camera would be nice, but that could also just be a modal window. I don't know. I think maybe kids like widgets. And as you get older, you're like, I got too much shit going on in my life. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't need widgets. more input. I just need, implemented i would say five million times i was trying to think the first time i saw it was a yahoo there was like a yahoo dashboard of widgets and it's like yeah i do think on the iphone now on the iphone having some nice widgets or it is kind of nice because you have like less That's options true. so like if you just say like fine widgets were kind of thrown into mac os because they had to put them on ios it's great but like when you're at your computer i just like there's no like you have all the stuff you you need already you don't need widgets i think so yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah, the oh, only thing the only thing getting close to it is maybe like my calendar app. Like I could kind of I don't know. I don't know. But that's the only thing that I kind of like look at as a dashboard to 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 see what's going on. But I probably would have figured out. That's I've why got, I have two like, monitors. I know, no, I was gonna say I I've got like three monitors. If I needed that, I would have figured it out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fuck those widgets. I think that's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the official software defined talk policy. <laughs> position well in a much more gentler way well sort of because there's there's hella killing and gut spilling uh but my recommendation is uh the the sequel to the book hilled came out uh i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right because i don't know how they talked in uh the 600s uh up in the uh the not united kingdom at the time uh but it's called meanwood and uh it's great if you like the hilled book which is about um i forget what her full name is but like it's it's like a fictionalization of saint hild of the 600s uh and uh which is what hild was about but this is kind of like well the sequel but it's like what happens after she kind of like becomes uh i don't know gets her own land and becomes a uh, a lady or whatever and uh you know i was reading it and it's like 900 pages and i think this is uh it's so it's kind of it's it's getting close to being kind of dunish uh so i'll see if it gets over that hump uh, or if it becomes just sort of like a very well-written transcript of a diplomacy game, uh, which I guess some people would like that. But so far, it's great. So I recommend it. And then also, it's not really a recommendation, but uh, earlier this week, I, I reached over 700 subscribers to my newsletter. Available at newsletter.cote.io if you want to subscribe. So thanks to everyone who subscribes. I know our download numbers for this podcast, and they are much higher than 700. So if you listen this far, you should subscribe to my newsletter because it's pretty much the same thing. 
except it won't hurt your ears. What, one's got more talking. <laughs> yes, that's right. What, one has multiple perspectives. The other has one. Uh, and that goes on and on. Well, speaking of multiple perspectives, you've just heard three of them. And maybe we've synthesized other perspectives to try to be more than three perspective-ish, if, if that's, a, that's a term. Uh, by li- multitudes. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> by listening to Software Defined Talk, available at softwaredefinedtalk.com. If you're not subscribed to it already, thanks for listening. You should uh, subscribe to it yourself. Grab all the devices you can that subscribe can subscribe to a podcast and do it. You know, maybe the Amazon person's delivering something or you're, you're getting you're receiving groceries from Yumbo or Albert Hein. Uh, and you could say like, hey, could I could I borrow your phone real quick and just subscribe it to Software Defined Talk? I'm sure they'll uh, they'll thank Choose you. Choose those numbers. But if you want to get uh, links to everything we mentioned, those conferences, that fantastic code KCNA23VMWEO20. Uh, to get 20% off attur- attending KubeCon, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 436. And, uh, you know, I, I understand that the 46 did have a turbo button, which this episode does not have, but soon will. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm not, I'm not into the, uh, the, the slash office situation because you know what that becomes? Slash not an office. Wait, do I live in an office complex? <laughs> it's all it's offices all the way down. Well, we can bring it down so we can bring it, bring it back up. All right. I think I'm ready.